Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Pastor Gary, who will be bringing us the word. Okay, praise the Lord. Good morning, church. And uh, it is a joy to be able to come together in the circumstances and just have a sense of a unity of spirit as we come to worship God and come around his word. And so, obviously, as we're aware, there's um, uh, going to be some restrictions that are going to uh, hold us back from coming together for another at least a month, but um, still we can come together for our meetings here on Zoom. And so it's proving to be a real blessing as an alternative. So uh, glory to God and uh, good to see you all this morning. Now let's turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 52, the last chapter in the book of Jeremiah. And so I was just to give uh, the background to the inspiration of our mess, my message this morning. Um, I was just doing my daily reading as I have been. And as I was reading this particular chapter earlier in the week, um, it was uh, evident to me that various words in the scriptures were just jumping off the page. And um, I'm sure you understand what I mean. I mean, we can read the same thing over and over as we read our Bible and yet there are various moments where certain scriptures and words just uh, penetrate. They just come forth in such a way. And that's exactly what happened uh, to me this, this week and uh, gave me the inspiration to preach what I'm going to share with us this morning and uh, in the word of God. And so as we read and as you read the book of Jeremiah, we understand the context has to do with Judah specifically and their captivity and going off to Babylon. And so um, uh, it has to do with God's judgment that's being poured out upon a people, upon a nation, uh, for their continued disobedience to God. And so um, that's the context. And so in this particular chapter, in our text, there is going to be a particular word that is used, and we'll pick it up as we read it, plus I'm going to make mention of it before we do read the text, just to make that emphasis. But what is clear is this is deliberate. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has done this um, uh, specifically to make and reiterate a point that is associated with this particular topic and with this word that we're going to examine in the scriptures. Now, we understand that uh, in in God's economy of understanding uh, and interpreting uh, Scripture, numbers obviously have a significant uh, role, and so numbers are being representative of various aspects. 
the same is true when it comes to various materials that are symbolic in God's word. So, for example, we have the issue of gold, we have silver, and we have bronze. And these three uh, have a, symb a symbolic uh, application that relates to God and his purposes. And so, for example, gold is a symbolic of, of God himself, his kingship, his divinity, his glory, his holiness. And so when we use the uh, gold being the most precious metal that we have on earth and being representative and symbolic of God's nature and uh, his person. Then there's the issue of silver in the Bible. And silver has to do, I won't go into details of silver this morning, but it has to do with the issue of redemption in the Bible, in scripture. And then there's also the bronze. And bronze in the Bible has to do specifically with the word judgment, the judgment of God specifically. And so judgment is associated with this particular word bronze. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and as we will see, in the case of Judah in our text, the judgment of God is coming upon a nation, is coming upon a people who have disobeyed God over and over and over again. They have rebelled against the word of the Lord. They have practiced idolatry. They have committed spiritual adultery to God in their relationship to him. They have rejected the prophets that God has sent over and over and over again. And so this is over a litany of time and a period of time in which God has tried to draw them back to himself and call them to repentance. And yet they have uh, consistently disobeyed to the point where God says enough is enough. And the judgment of God is coming upon the children of Israel. The land is vomiting them out. And God says uh, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, for 70 years, they will be as slaves in Egypt as a result of their disobedience. They will go into captivity. And this will be part of the judgment that I am bringing upon them. And so in light of that, we have the issue of God's judgment. And this is what we want to consider as it relates to this topic or this word, particular word bronze, or this, this metal bronze in the Bible, in scripture. And so there are various aspects that I want to consider it in as before we start. Firstly, as, as the judgment of God relates to the sinner. And so we'll see that as we go through the message this morning. Then there's the second aspect that has to do with the judgment of God as it relates to the church. In the New Testament, as it relates to the saint and the believer. And so this is important because in First Peter chapter 4, verse 17, uh, Peter takes this, this principle that we find within the Old Testament that relates to Israel. And he says these words, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so Peter is drawing upon a principle of God's judgment. And here he makes it clear that judgment begins in the house of God. It begins with the people of God. And then obviously extended from that, it goes out to those who do not obey the gospel and ultimately the judgment that is associated with those, the unbeliever. And so we are looking at the judgment of God and we are looking at it in the context of the material or metal bronze 
in scripture because bronze is where God's judgment deals with sin. I'll say it again. Bronze is where God's judgment deals with sin. And it is used, as we will see in scripture, in the bad and negative sense, but also in a good and positive sense as well, as we will uh, uh, examine it this morning. And so let's read our text. It's in Jeremiah chapter 52, and we're going to start at verse 12. And I want you to pay particular attention to this word bronze and the emphasis that God is making as uh, they are being judged and they are now being taken captive and headed to Babylon. So let's read from verse 12. The Bible says, Now in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, or Nebuzaradan, however you want to say it, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poor people, the rest of the, of the people, and remained in the city. And the defectors who, who had uh, um, deserted to the king of Babylon and the rest of the craftsmen. Now Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard left some of the poor uh, of the land as vine dressers and farmers. Now look at verse 17 onwards. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the bowls, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the basins, the fire, uh, fire pans, the bowls, the pots, the lampstands, the spoons and the cups, whatever was solid gold and whatever was solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, the 12 bronze bulls, which were under it and the carts, which King Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. Now concerning the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits, a measuring line of 12 cubits could measure its circumference and its thickness was four fingers that it was hollow. A capital of bronze was on it and the height of one capital was five cubits and a network of pomegranates all around in the capital, uh, all, all of bronze. The second pillar with the pomegranates was the same. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides and all the pomegranates all around on the network were 100. These were bronze. And so, praise the Lord, you can see that the word bronze is being emphasized and as the articles and as all the bronze is being collected and gathered, it is being taken off to Babylon as a part of and association with the judgment of God that has come upon the children of Israel uh, and specifically Judah, in which they are now being carried off to, uh, to Babylon for 70 years. And so the judgment of God, as I, we have stated, is captured in the word bronze. The bronze is going out with them. 
and the gold has been depleted. Obviously, this gold is mentioned in the text in which they take that. But if you read uh, uh, over the course of Israel's history, you'll find that many a times that they were uh, invaded and in doing so as part of God's discipline. And each time gold was taken or gold was given. And so uh, this is, again, symbolic of the, the consequence of what's going on. The gold is depleted. And now we have the issue of bronze and the judgment of God is falling. Now, when we consider these, these metals, I think it is important to understand them, especially through the tabernacle. I think the tabernacle uh, that we find in the Old Testament gives us an overview and an understanding of the significance of what we're dealing with here. So I just want to touch upon this briefly so that we can understand, because the tabernacle of Moses was made up of two. Uh, uh, in, in the tabernacle, there was the holy place or the holy of holies and the holy place. And so the holy place and the holy of holies in which only the high priest would enter in once a year without blood. Uh, sorry, with blood. And so it's in light of that aspect that as you consider what was inside the holy place and inside the tabernacle, you will find that all the vessels of ministry were gold. The candlestick was gold. The table of showbread, there was gold. The altar of incense that was in there was gold. The Ark of the Covenant was gold. And the mercy seat was all gold. Gold was also used to cover the tent walls inside the tabernacle. And the ceiling was woven with gold. And so when you went into the, the tabernacle, into the holy place, into the holy holies, the glory of God was associated with that gold, and it spoke of his glory and his holiness and his kingship. And so what is interesting to note concerning the tabernacle, that is, if you stood outside the tabernacle, you could not see any gold at all. Being covered as it was with the, uh, and uh, being covered the way that, uh, that God had ordained it, when to stand outside of it and to look upon it, you could see, not see the gold that it contained. Only when one stood in were they confronted with and saw the glory and the beauty of the, that, uh, the holy place and obviously the holy of holies beyond the veil that was there. Now, that's the issue of gold that concerns the tabernacle. Then you have the, the aspect of silver that was part of its construction. And I don't want to go into that this morning. It doesn't cover the scope, but, but it deals uh, with, again, as I've mentioned, redemption. And that is obviously pointing to Christ. And also there's the issue of bronze that we find in the tabernacle. Because inside the, the, the tabernacle was all gold. But outside of the tabernacle, within the courtyard, was all bronze. And so bronze was used to, to construct um, the bases that enter the courtyard. The bronze was used to make what we call we know as the bronze altar or the brazen altar. And the grate and the utensils that were associated with the bronze altar were all made of bronze. Then you had the bronze laver where the water was that uh, as you proceeded there in that particular outer court. And so the whole uh, and the tent pegs that made up the tabernacle and the, the, uh, the, the curtains and, and all of those things were made of bronze. And so this is important and significant when we're considering bronze in the context of judgment. Because what was it that took place in the courtyard? If the bronze uh, altar was there, what was offered on that altar? 
It was all part of the sacrifices that were offered daily by the priests and also with the other uh, aspects that related to God's feasts and the offerings and so forth. And so in all of that, you have an understanding of bronze being a, a representative of judgment and there, and there being on that bronze altar where they would burn um, those sacrifices and, and uh, atonement obviously uh, would be made. And then they would, once a year on the day of atonement, we know that the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice. He would go into the holy place. He would go into the holy of holies uh, and he'd pour that blood onto the mercy seat. And so here you have the whole aspect of redemption and there's so much to consider in all of this, but I'm just highlighting this morning that aspect of the gold and that aspect of the bronze that we see within the temple or the tabernacle and the temple as well. And also as it relates to the purposes of God, you see, we're looking at bronze and we're looking at the word judgment. And this is significant, and it was very significant to the children of Israel. They understood this in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, in verse 23. God is speaking to the children of Israel, and he's giving them an understanding about the blessings that will come upon their obedience and the curses that will come upon their disobedience. And he says in verse 23, <coughs> And your heavens, which are over you or over your head, shall be bronze and the earth which is under you shall be iron the lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed so as part as, as a consequence of their disobedience god says that the heavens above will become as bronze Bronze being a sign of the judgment that God will bring upon them until they are destroyed. This is very serious. These are heavy words, and it's an understanding that we begin to grasp relating to God Himself. The judgment of God is serious, and it relates, and I want to consider it in two aspects this morning, and that is as it relates to Israel. And as it relates to the church, because we've established already, it has its application to both. So I want, to, I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And here we find in Israel's history a particular king who was known as, a, as his name was Manasseh. And he was a wicked king. And so let's look at what happened to him as God's judgment fell upon him. And so in chapter 33, verse 11. The Bible says, therefore, uh, of verse 10, it says, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. It says now verse 11, therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, and they took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. So there you have it. The bronze fetters is a sign of the judgment of God. Now, verse 12. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And so you have the issue of Manasseh. He's a perfect example. And he and the people are disobeying God. And so what does God do? He brings judgment. And Manasseh is put into bronze fetters as a symbol 
of that judgment and taken off. And then he's humbled before God, repents, and God restores him. But we have another example. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 36. <coughs> we have the uh, king here is Jehoiakim. And here is, is again, we find another reference in chapter 36, verse number five. It says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And so here it is. Again, the same thing is uh, being reiterated. The, the judgment of God is falling upon a king and upon a nation and upon a people, and it's being symbolized by the bronze fetters by the heavens being coming as bronze, uh, by um, the articles of bronze being carried off to Babylon. It is all symbolic of judgment. But there's another aspect that I want to highlight in relation to this. So can you go to Second Chronicles chapter 12? Because this is interesting. Now, this is, this is mind you, this is preceding what has happened later. So this is before we get to that point uh, in the judgment of God, we get first to this point, as we see in the history of the children of Israel. And this is interesting to consider as it relates to Solomon and as it relates to his son, King Rehoboam, and what happened. So let's go to chapter 12 and let's, let's look at verse Nine. Just to give you an overview, uh, Solomon, we know in his latter years, his heart departed from God. And as a result of that, his heart turned from the Lord, the Bible says. And we know that God split the kingdom into two. And then he gave, uh, uh, as part of the covenant to David, he gave the, um, the kingdom to Rehoboam. And he uh, was over um, the tribe of, uh, of uh, Judah and Benjamin. And so these, uh, these tribes in which he ruled over, but listen, even in Rehoboam's disobedience, listen to what God does in verse 9. So God sends Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. This is all the gold. He also carried away the gold shields, which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard and who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Now, see, here is what we, we're having is that, uh, again, God is bringing judgment. And so Shishak, the king of Egypt, comes in and he takes and he plunders the house of God and he takes away the gold and the gold shields. This is symbolic of God's glory being departing. And as a result of that, uh, the Bible says that Rehoboam, he makes bronze shields to replace the gold shields. And so these shields uh, uh, would, uh, uh, would be used by those that would protect him, especially when uh, Rehoboam would go from his house and he would go into the house of the Lord. These uh, were used to protect him. And so every time uh, Rehoboam would go into the house of God and he would have those bronze shields made. He would be a reminder to him of the judgment of God that was resting upon him as a result of his disobedience to God. And so, and so again, we have these accounts in Scripture that teach us something, as we will see as it relates to the church. So let's think, secondly now, I said that this aspect of God's judgment deals with Israel and it deals with the church. Does the judgment of God apply to the church? Well, judge, we looked at already. The judgment begins in the house of God. 
you don't have to read very far when the church was birthed in the book of Acts to realize this when we have Ananias and Sapphira and we have them lying to God and conceiving a lie to deceive uh, those around them. And what happens? The Bible says they both fell down dead. The judgment of God came upon them in that moment, in that instant. And so we have an, uh, an example of God's judgment right there. But that's not the only place in scripture that we uh, are taught about the judgment and discipline of God, uh, as we find revealed in the New Testament. We have the issue of the Corinthians, for example. And in chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, we're told about a, uh, the, the Corinthian church that has um, uh, been abusing the Lord's Supper and has been uh, conducting themselves in a manner that is unacceptable to God and sin and so forth. And there's things going on within the church. And Paul writes and he says uh, to them that that's why there are many among you that are sick and are dying. Why are they sick and they are dying? Because he specifically says that they are being judged or disciplined by God. And so this is important for us to understand. It's actually here in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, that Paul says in verse 31, where he says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And so God wouldn't have to go to the extent he would have to go sometimes in judgment against our lives if we would learn to judge ourselves as he deals with us. In the same way, uh, Israel, if they had heeded the prophets and the warnings of God, he wouldn't have to have dealt with them so severely as he did. And this is how we see this principle within the scripture. But it's not the only place that we find the judgment of God. We find it uh, also in the book of Revelation when Jesus uh, is uh, um, amongst the churches, uh, uh, the seven churches of Revelation. Now, isn't it interesting that when Jesus appears to John, what, is, uh, what are his feet made of? They are made up of polished bronze. And Jesus is walking amongst the candlesticks. He's walking amongst the church. And what is he doing? He's judging. And so he's speaking to and dressing the, each church and he's bringing a judgment against some of them in relation to uh, uh, where they are at and he's calling them to repentance or else he will remove their candlestick. And again, we find these references uh, throughout the scriptures as I am showing you. And so it relates to, uh, to the church just as much as it related <coughs> to the children of Israel. In fact, Israel are examples as the scripture teaches us. And so in light of that this morning, let us reflect upon the history of the church. And there have been moves of God throughout the course of history that were made of gold where God's spirit has been poured out, but only to be replaced by, by bronze and by the judgment of God as they uh, over the course of time and years as, uh, as compromise and wickedness creeps in and disobedience to God. Movements that were moves of God, mighty moves of God, that resembled gold, the, the, being the outpouring of God's spirit, have become bronze monuments in our world today. And I could think of some just in my mind now, but the principle is there in the scriptures. There are men and there are movements that have been shackled by bronze fetters over the course of the history of the church. And we would be silly if we would not identify and recognize these things. Now, I want to draw your attention to this truth. Remember, we spoke about how, um, how Rehoboam 
He changed the gold shields that were taken and he made in their place bronze shields. And as I was thinking about this and as I was meditating upon it, I began to just reflect upon the fact that this is symbolic of what the church itself does in the same way. We see this over and over and over again. And I couldn't help but think of the Pentecostal movement that, uh, that, uh, that many are familiar with, in which we saw an outpouring of God's spirit. And we saw the church being multiplied and we saw the power of God being manifested. But we at the same time saw that which was gold turn into that which was bronze. And as, uh, as men began to disobey God and as they began to compromise and as they began to uh, corrupt the word of God, uh, the, the gold departed. So you know what they did? They built bronze shields. They replaced the gold with bronze. And we see this in the church today. And so uh, we can't help but note the fact that these things exist and that these things are happened. One might say, well, in what way have we created bronze shields? Well, let me tell you that in the modern church today, so much that goes on within the churches are basically centered around worldly entertainment and worldly amusement. And they have become amusement centers to entertain the masses. And I tell you, what we're dealing with is bronze shields that because there's no gold, the gold has been depleted, the gold has gone, the invasion has come. And as a result, men have created bronze shields to try and create and replace that which is missing. And that is the presence and power of God himself. For example, why is it that the churches now have feel, feel the need to uh, uh, make their um, auditoriums dark and dim the lights and create an atmosphere that they claim is uh, an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit? But I tell you now, if the Holy Spirit is light and the Holy Spirit is in our midst, amen, and we have fullness of life and joy, why do you need to create an atmosphere? Why do you have to uh, man-made creations to try and create something, to create uh, flashing lights, a, dark, a darkened room, smoke screens? I tell you, it's all got to do with the carnality. It's got to do with the flesh. It is bronze because it, there's no gold. And so what do we do? We have to create bronze shields. And I tell you, as the scripture tells us, that bronze this morning is a sign of God's judgment in the church the heavens have become as bronze you know when god said to israel he said that the heavens will become as bronze we understand in the bible that rain is not only in used in this in in the physical sense as it relates to israel but it talks about the outpouring of the holy spirit that's what we need at various junctures in church history we see that and i tell you we're in a time again church that we need a genuine outpouring of the holy spirit we need the gold not the bronze we need the power of god and the presence of god and the bible says in zechariah ask for rain in the time of the latter rain and we need rain amen the genuine gold of the holy spirit to be poured out in our midst not the fakeness, not the bronze that we are seeing today that men have created to replace the presence of, or the absence of the presence of God in their midst. So there are two aspects now we want to consider. And I want to look at the, uh, at the, uh, the sinner's need for salvation. 
And I want to look at that which relates to the church. But in saying all of this this morning, and as we've looked at the judgment of God, and as we look at the issue of bronze, is there hope? And my answer to us this morning is there is hope, church. There is hope. Thank God that in spite of how bad things can get, God has a way out. Amen. God makes provision. And what we see in the scripture is glorious for our edification and something in which we can praise God for. Because we said at the beginning that bronze is where God's judgment deals with sin. And we have considered pretty much the negative side of this, the, the, the bad aspect of God's judgment as it relates to Israel, the church, and the individual. But, you know, there is a good side to this when we talk about God's judgment and dealing with sin and we talk about bronze. And there's an aspect that is positive. And what do I mean by that? Well, I'm talking about Jesus himself. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is God's answer. Jesus has always been God's answer, whether it's to the sinner for salvation or whether it's to the saint who needs to be restored through repentance. It is all through Jesus. Amen. And I want to look at two aspects in the Bible to show us how God has made that provision and how we can see how the answer that it lies before us this morning. So, Let's go back to the tabernacle. <coughs> Outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard, there was the bronze altar. That bronze or brazen altar is when those sacrifices were made outside the camp. They would come and they would uh, uh, bring the, uh, the carcass of that animal and they would put it in there as a, as a, as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And so what we have here, this speaks, we know, who is that burnt offering? That burnt offering is none other than Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Who was the one that was sacrificed? Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when we look at the issue of the bronze altar this morning, where the sacrifice and the burnt offering was made, it all points and speaks of Jesus Christ, who him himself bore the judgment of God on our behalf, and how glorious it is, the issue being sacrifice and Christ being that sacrifice for us. You see, if we are able to approach God, and if we are to have the gold as God wants us to have, then we must pass through sacrifice. When you went into that tabernacle, the first thing you encountered was the brazen altar. You could, and not only that, you couldn't even see the gold that was in the temple. You weren't even allowed in it. And so separated were, were, were Israel, and it's reflective of how distant and separated we are from God because of sin. But you see, Jesus was crucified for our sins. The judgment of God came upon him at the cross. And isn't it wonderful? Because as Jesus hung upon that cross, and as he completed him, finished his work, as the judgment of God was poured out upon him at Calvary, the Bible says that when he said the words, it is finished, the scripture tells us in John's gospel that the veil of the temple was torn in two. You know what? As, uh, this is symbolic. For the first time, 
God had made a way. No longer was it once a year through the blood of bulls and goats and through the high priest going in. What God did when Jesus died, he was the Lamb of God. He was uh, the Passover lamb and he having been sacrificed for our sin, that, that uh, the veil of the temple was torn in two and it was an invitation for us to go into the holy of holies into the and to receive as an inheritance the gold that comes from God himself. And that is what Christianity is. What is Christianity? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Bible says we have become partakers of the divine nature. And so we have the gold. Hallelujah. The spirit of God lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you're talking about gold this morning. We have that gold. And the reason why we have it is because of Jesus Christ, who offered himself, who uh, was, was that lamb that was slain and his sacrifice. And he, uh, he was that burnt offering burnt on the altar, the bronze altar that we find here in the tabernacle. How glorious it is. Now let's look at the second aspect. We've looked at the, at the, the bronze altar, and I want to look at the, now what we call the, the bronze serpent. So turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus is speaking, and you're familiar with the scriptures, I'm sure. But Jesus is making now a comparison as he's speaking to Nicodemus and as he's speaking about spiritual realities. He says about himself that he has come down from heaven and he gives a revelation and an insight into his purpose. And in verse 14, Jesus says these words. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now think about that. For, uh, um, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So here it is. Moses is, uh, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man would be lifted up. Now Nicodemus, he knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. And this story, we won't read it, but it's found in the book of Numbers in chapter 21. And there you find the account of where Israel has again disobeyed God. And they have, uh, uh, in their disobedience, God brings judgment upon them. And the Bible says he sends amongst them fiery serpents. And anyone that was bitten by the fiery serpents would fall dead. And as a result of that, the people became fearful and they came to Moses and they pleaded with Moses to say to God to stop this. And so Moses <coughs> intercedes for the people. He comes to, to God and God says to him, Moses, I want you to make a bronze serpent and I want you to put that bronze serpent on top of a pole and I want you to lift it, lift it up. And every, everyone that is bitten by the fiery serpent, I want them to look to the bronze serpent. And in looking at the bronze serpent, they will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. And now Jesus takes that and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man will be lifted up. 
And so Jesus is making it clear that he, his life being offered as a sacrifice is going to be reflective of that as of the bronze serpent. And so in other words, Jesus is going to bear the judgment, bronze being symbolic of God's judgment. And so God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so here's Jesus Christ crucified at Calvary. He is that bronze serpent uh, that was symbolic of Christ and his cross and his crucifixion. And we look to Jesus. Amen. And in doing so by faith, we look to him and we are healed of our sin. We are saved and we are born again. And again, we, uh, uh, we receive the glorious inheritance that comes from God. And so this is the sinner's hope that we can look to Jesus, that we can turn to Jesus, that Jesus bore our judgment. He bore our sin. In actual fact, in John chapter five, if you just go over the page in verse 24, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Listen to those words, shall not come into judgment. Why? Because Jesus was judged for us. But has, listen to Jesus, but has passed from death into life. You see, we have passed judgment because judgment has been passed on Jesus. That's just like the Passover where the, the blood of the lamb was put on those lentils. And when the angel of death would come, he would pass over. And so too, amen, in Christ Jesus, we have passed, uh, passed from death. We've passed through judgment because Jesus was judged for us and we have passed from death into life. What a savior, church. What a wonderful, glorious salvation that we have. You see, when Jesus was lifted up on that cross and in comparing himself to a fiery, uh, uh, to the bronze serpent, when Jesus went to that cross, he not only judged sin, but he judged the ruler of this world. And in John chapter 12, let me read it to you. John chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world and the ruler of this world will be cast out. See, judgment came at the cross upon Satan himself, just as God had foretold right back in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, and how that they, uh, he would crush the serpent's head. <clears throat> and this is exactly what's happened. Now, Jesus says that the ruler of this world will be cast out. And in verse 32, it says, and if I am lifted up I, from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And this exactly, the Bible says he said this, signifying by what death he would die. That death was the death of the cross. If Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. Because Satan has been judged. Sin has been judged. And God has broken those shackles. Amen. Having become sin for us, having become and bore the judgment of God and made a way for us to be saved. Again, what a glorious, glorious gospel. <clears throat> now, let's just stick with me as we bring this to a conclusion this morning. But what about this, the, the saint? You see, Israel was judged by God. They would have bronze fetters and the bronze heavens and the bronze was taken into captivity and so forth. 
And I said earlier that the modern church, in, to a great extent, is in, uh, in, is in captivity as well. And so what's the answer to the church? What is the answer to the saint? Well, I tell you, it's the same that is the answer to the sinner. The cross is the answer to the sinner, and the cross is the answer to the saint. You see, it's all about coming back to the cross. It's all about coming back to repentance. It's all about coming back to Christ. And so when, where we have fallen, where we have drifted, where we have disobeyed, it's coming back to that point. When Israel repented, God would restore them. When Manasseh repented, God restored him back to his position. And God's favor did, would, would come to those kings when they would repent and Israel when they would repent. So too to the church, if we will repent, then too, likewise, amen, we can find the favor and blessing of God if we need to, if God's dealing with us and calling us under repentance. And what does repentance incorporate? Simply coming back to the cross. Coming back to the cross. You see, the preaching of the cross is what it's all about, church. It's about humbling ourselves before God. It's about glorying in the cross. It's about God, amen, giving us gold when we come to the cross in exchange for the bronze that, uh, that uh, the judgment of God represents. The cross is where one humbles themselves. The cross is where one is broken over their sin. The cross is where confession is made for sin. It's at the cross where we are washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus. It's all at the cross. And so many times, church, the answer to our situations and circumstances, it's coming back to the cross, coming back to, to repentance if we've grown spiritually cold, disobeyed, or under some kind of judgment from God because of our sin, then we have to come back. To, to the cross. And just as the gold can be replaced by bronze, which we can, we've already looked at, so bronze can be replaced by gold, again, by God himself in our lives, because we need the gold this morning. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the genuine gold, not fool's God, uh, fool's gold. We want, we want genuine gold, not fool's gold. And it's interesting, you know, I was thinking about the bronze shield of Rehoboam. And so having replaced the gold shields with the bronze shields, bronze is a metal that has to be maintained. You see, uh, you can polish bronze and you can make it look so polished that it gives sometimes the appearance and reflection of gold, but it's bronze. You see, because if once bronze is exposed to the elements, it, it goes, uh, the material becomes corrupted and it goes, uh, um, and it, it changes its appearance as a greenish, it goes a greenish color and uh, it is exposed to the elements and it deteriorates and it needs to be polished over and over and over again. And that is not what we want, amen. We don't want to have to polish the bronze this morning. We want the real thing. We want the gold. You see, Jeroboam, I mean, sorry, Rehoboam uh, had the bronze shields polished to look like gold. And that's, I believe, this is part of the problem with the modern church today is that they, they must, they feel the need and they feel that the, the, because there's no gold, they have to polish the bronze. 
They have to get all the outward appearance right. We have to get everything tweaked because if it's not perfect, then God can't come. That's the basically, in effect, what they're saying. So all the outward has to be per perfected and tweaked and, and tuned to create a human atmosphere because they must replace that which is missing because the gold has gone. And so we find that men and churches are polishing the bronze over and over. They're concerned with outward appearances and they're fixated on these things. But inwardly, well, they've been found wanting. And so I want to conclude with just a couple of last thoughts. Jesus was uh, walking amongst the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And he was, uh, uh, and he spoke to the church at Sardis. And uh, this represents uh, many ways the modern church as well, in its various ways. He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And so <clears throat> I've had God speak that to me personally many years ago about my own life. And I, I can tell you now that the church is in a similar position in various ways in which those that claim to be alive and Jesus would come to them and he would say, you have a reputation that you're alive, but you are dead. And, he's, uh, and then he says to them later, repent, repent. That's the key. Come back to the cross. Otherwise, the candlestick will be removed. Think of the church of Laodicea in chapter 3. Here's a church that uh, is boasting of it in and of itself. It says, uh, Jesus speaks to it and he says, you say that you are rich. You say that you're wealthy. You have no need of nothing. And he's, in other words, he's saying, you think you have gold. But I'm telling you, uh, he says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. In other words, you don't have gold, you have bronze in your midst. And this is a result of the judgment of God. And so Jesus calls them to what? Repent. Repent. And he says, I stand at the door and I knock because he's on the outside. He's not on the inside. They've got the polished bronze on the inside, but there's no gold. And that's symbolic of the church age in which we live. It's symbolic of many churches today who have polished bronze and replaced with the gold of God's presence. And God help us this morning, because as we look at this, it's not about pointing fingers. It's about understanding the, the reality of this glorious truth this morning and looking at our own lives and realizing what we need and God, how we can have it and maintain it. And it's back at the cross. It's always at the cross church. That's where we first saw the light. It's where we see the light. And when we have drifted, if there's need for repentance, we come back to the cross and humble ourselves before God. And our eyes are opened and we are filled again. Come back to the cross. The cross is the power of God under salvation. The cross is the power of God. The cross is where is the answer for the sinner. And it's the answer for the saint. So God help us this morning. God have mercy. We want the gold. We want the gold. Deliver us from bronze. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning.